Have you been hitting the books and listening to lectures all day? It's time to relax, to unwind, and listen up. This is Brooke from Campus Chronicles, your go-to podcast for everything student life. No matter where you are in your academic journey, we have you covered. Think of us as a trusted mentor, friend, and confidant who always has your back. We'll be sharing inspiring stories, thought-provoking insights, and practical advice to help you succeed in and out of the classroom. So get ready to be inspired, enlightened, and entertained. Hello, hello, everyone. I am here with the wonderful and absolutely fantastic Kelly J. Mendenhall of the Affordable Art Revolution. Kelly, thank you so much for being with me here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm very excited to dive into this topic that I feel that I've learned so much from you and our short friendship and our short conversation that we had yesterday is art has such a profound purpose, not only in terms of creating beautiful things, but in terms of if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're going through a breakup, whatever it is, art can be such a place for healing, such a place for growth. And we don't talk about that enough. And I know that's really part of what the affordable art revolution is about. Can you just share the Cliff Notes version of your story and how you really got into art? Because I know it's fantastic and our viewership would want to hear it. Yeah. So um, I kind of, I was, I feel like I was lucky because I grew up with art very much intertwined in our daily lives and creating in general. My mom is a super creative person. She was a folk singer that wrote her own music and toured holiday in lounges before I was born. So she's very creative and art and music have always been a huge part of our lives. Um, but creating for her became a survival mechanism when my dad passed away and she was only 29. She had no high school diploma and three kids. And suddenly she was a single widow. And, um, she really wanted to be with us as like a stay-at-home mom. She took her skills of sewing because she made a lot of our clothes and things like that. Um, she took that skill and she went and took a class on how to follow drapery patterns for like custom window treatments. And uh, she took it at a place called Bev's house, which I still remember from being a kid and like, I would sit in there and look at the fabric and paint samples while she was taking classes or whatever. But she took this drapery, this drapery pattern class, and she ended up launching Hometown Draperies. And that was how she supported us growing up, was working from home making custom window treatments. And so she was still able to be very hands-on as far as spending quality time with us because she made her hours and she worked from home so she could still do all the like, Susie homemaker stuff like the square meals and all that but um but still work and generate income and so my mom set this example that didn't even really sink in until I became suddenly disabled and uh lost about 85 90% of my mobility and for a period of 11 months specifically I was living like entirely on the couch I had like I would I had a, a Fitbit at the time because I'd been pursuing like health goals at the time. And 
all of a sudden, like my daily step count was like 200 steps, 100 steps. It was really, uh, it was a really dramatic and fast thing. And I, six months before this, I had taken up a hobby inspired by my great grandma, Mabel. I make these really intricate heirloom quality Christmas stockings and like ornaments and things. They're done with felt applique kits. There's beads and sequins. It's all hand sewn. My great grandma had made these for us when we were kids. And about six months before I lost my mobility, it just so happened that I had bought my first kit to learn how to do this because I wanted to do it for my nieces and nephews. I did not know that it would become a life-saving measure for me to pick up this hobby, but it, it, it absolutely did. For the time that I was trapped living on the couch and not able to, to be out doing all the things I identified myself as being a nonprofit professional, being a social justice warrior, like all these different things, all of a sudden I was trapped and had all the time in the world on my hands and stitching became my way of meditating through the pain I was experiencing. And I don't, I don't want to like give too long-winded of an answer to your first question, but that's kind of where it started was suddenly I was living with this mind-bending, earth-shattering pain and my whole life was flipped upside down. And I was already a person who lived with anxiety and depression and things. So like this was only compounding that and stitching became something I could lose myself in and not think about the pain so much and not think about all of the doomsday what if scenarios that were going through my head because it's a very conscious process. You have to be paying attention to what you're doing. And that's why I think it becomes sort of a meditation. If no one is around me, and there's no outside stimuli to like break that. I can stay in a state like that for hours where I'm stitching and creating and this beautiful thing is coming to life. That's the other thing. A lot of times like when I'm writing or or um working on different endeavors there's not always that physical tangible object or thing so when you're stitching or you're hand creating with whatever media you're watching this piece come to life right and like that starts releasing all the happy chemicals in your brain because humans are meant to do and move and and i think our sedentary lifestyle uh really impacts our mental health in that way. So Kelly, one thing I was thinking as you were talking was there is a reason usually that something sustains generations. And I know in my case, my great grandmothers did hand sort of crafts like that. My grandmothers oftentimes are mothers. And when something is sustaining generation after generation after generation, that points to the fact that there's probably a really profound benefit to working with and using our hands. Well, and I think something and you and I spoke about this briefly on in our last conversation these stitching circles that our grandmothers and great-grandmothers used to participate in and quilt circles and things like that this is where they found community um and they it was 
it was a it was woven into the fabric of everyday life to have these hobbies, but also communities of women who were spending time together and creating uh, these beautiful pieces of art. So it's not when we when we talked about that yesterday, I thought to myself, that's what we lack in so many areas of modern life, right? Is community, that sense of like, we've just become more and more separated. And the COVID-19 pandemic separated us even more, you know? And that there's so many volatile sociopolitical issues happening in the world right now and like tragedies happening that are causing a lot of divisiveness and and we don't have that familiarity that we used to have with our neighbors and our communities. I don't know about you, but I feel lucky that I was raised by the mom I was raised by because she exposed me to all this, but most of my friends think that what I do is like old lady stuff. And there is that stigma, right? Especially for, and the people that we're talking to right now are younger, right? They're college students. And they're, you're, when you're in college, you're starting to build your own habits. You're starting to build your own identity, the sort of hobbies that you want to have. And that does open the door for, yes, this is a beautiful, beautiful stress reduction technique. And I know that this helps me. And I know that this is right for me, but people are misconstruing it and they think it's old lady. And even people don't know how to find the resources to get started. That's kind of where the affordable art revolution idea was born, because I thought we have to identify strategies to survive <laughs> um, because there will always be hardships in life. That's where the growth comes, right? There's always going to be adversity or, I mean, sometimes there's not. And those stories are really, really boring. But most of the people that you remember are people who have faced some kind of adversity and, and um, found some kind of magic in the coping mechanism and then build from there, right? And I think that's what stitching has been for me because I started to think, how many other Spoonies are there like out in the world who are my age or younger or older who were never exposed to things like this? And maybe it's not even on their radar, like how approachable this craft is or like how accessible um, and accessibility is a huge thing for me. Um, a quarter of our population is disabled, so it's far past time for there to be more inclusion and accessibility for people with all kinds of disabilities, not just visible disabilities. But for me, for me, it's even more important to find these coping mechanisms with invisible disabilities because people think that if they don't see it, it doesn't exist. What are the types of crafts that people can get started with? Because, I mean, I've only really ventured into coloring in my Care Bear coloring books. Some of my favorite things are paint your own pottery. That That is accessible in that you don't need a bunch of equipment. You can just go to where they have everything and you can pick whatever your creative hearts desire and you can create it. Um, I think... It, for me, embroidery and hand stitching has been because, so for me, I'm a spine patient and I had um, five discs or six discs ruptured all at once. 
And in, in the same year, I had a spinal fusion in my neck and a spinal fusion a few months later that went like through my ribs and down into my lower back. And so for years, it wasn't just walking and things that were a challenge. It was also a challenge just to sit upright, right? Well, it's an adaptive thing when you're hand stitching. So I would, I, I could lay on my back and still stitch. And I think that's a testament to no matter where you are, right? You can always, you know, assuming that your hands are, are doing well, you can always use your hands to make something. And that gives you that sense of purpose where if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a bout with anxiety or going through a bout with a depression or a breakup or whatever it is, or a health crisis or injury crisis, it's still a chance to be purposeful and to feel like you're making a difference beyond scrolling social media or beyond, you know, doing schoolwork, because that is so much better for your brain than social media, which is a can of worms we don't even really need to get into. But the act of creation is such a beautiful, you know, dopamine head, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. So when you're creating things with your hands, you're releasing happy chemicals in your brain as you're doing the movements. Again, we talked about the repetition. It becomes like a meditation. And something that I would really especially love because we are talking to people on college campuses, I did not take care of myself well enough. My mental health, my physical health when I was in undergrad and grad school. And that caught up with me because then I had a career that was very demanding on my physical and mental health. I was in nonprofit and I did, I wasn't taking enough time to do these things that make my heart sing. And it was only when I was literally like struck down and the universe was like, all right, well, you haven't been listening to any of our warning signals for the last 15 years. So you're just not going to walk for a while and you're going to work on you. And that's kind of like I saw it as an opportunity to reconnect with that creative side of myself. And I, I think about when I'm stitching, I'm thinking about the person that I'm making something for or I'm imagining um, if it's something I'm making to sell in my shop then I'm, I'm speaking positive affirmations on it. And I'm asking the universe to please get it to who most needs it. Whoever needs this piece the most, please help them find it. Would you say that you, this is kind of a curiosity question, Kelly. A lot of athletes feel that they enter a zone. This is very, very true for dancers. This is very true for singers. And I even know that I can enter a zone as well. Would you say that when you're stitching, you enter you know, a different realm or a different zone. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, and it takes you out of all of the external stimuli that's around you and creating noise in your brain. It takes that away and you're just in this zone. And my, my partner, Jeff actually loves it. He said he loves watching me work because he loves watching like my eyes light up when I find the right sequence to put in this project that I'm working on. Cause, um, it's like I said, I use a lot of bean sequence work with my stitching. And so like, he's like, I love watching you set up all of the supplies for whatever you're working on, whatever piece you're working on when you're picking the colors or you're like making a pattern for yourself. Cause I make my own embroidery pattern for anybody who's like, okay, so how do I get into embroidery? That's a good side note. They have 
uh, self-adhesive sticky uh, like fabric paper that you can print patterns or pictures on. So it's not like don't think everybody is out here being some kind of like amazingly brilliant Van Gogh of embroidery art. Like that's not a thing. There are those people, but a lot of us have patterns. And I think that stops so many people. And when we think about singing, um, a lot of people sing in their shower because they say, I'm not a good singer or I'm not a good dancer. And we can extend that to handcrafts too. We can even extend that to coloring. So how does someone, okay, let's say they're willing to try this. They're willing to go into the realm of crafting and whatever way feels right for them. How do they make it about the act, make it about the art versus making it about getting it perfect? Because we live in a culture and we live in a society that praises being perfect, that praises doing, you know, our art being good. And sometimes what we can run into is, well, it's just this silly little thing I do. And we negate it because it's not perfect or fantastic or, you know, the type of art that you might see on the Internet. I'm kind of laughing because last year. I remember telling my therapist that I was thinking about starting to sell my pieces and my work. And I was like, but I don't know if they're good enough. And she was like, show me some pictures. And I sent her some pictures. And she was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, and she and she was like, I think you're um, you're recovering perfectionist. And I think that we almost all are recovering perfectionists, which is what makes this so hard. You have to make peace with it's never going to be perfect. But that to me is what's endearing about handmade gifts, right? It's not going to be perfect. And on my shop, it even says everything in my store is lovingly and imperfectly handmade because I do live with spinal tremors and things. So like sometimes my stitches aren't perfectly spaced or sometimes one is crooked because I have a tremor while I'm stitching it. And I leave those imperfections because that what that's what makes it special. If you wanted something that was perfect or like had passed quality control tests, you'd go to the store and buy it. But this is about the journey, not the destination. And you do, I have to tell myself all the time, there's no such thing as perfection in sewing, Kelly, because my friend's mom said that to me when we were, in, when I was in grad school, she said, Kelly, there's no such thing as perfect in sewing. And you're just going to have to accept that or you'll never finish a project. And I was like, okay, you know, it's the same as like painting or anything else. If you're up close to it, you're you're not going to see it. You have to hold it far away um, because no one is going to walk up to it like this, you know, and and just keep telling yourself like you you can channel so much agony or or darkness into lightness and beauty. And that's for me, that's been the most rewarding thing about the last seven years is when I look back at all the Christmas stockings I've made, all the ornaments I've made, all the gifts that I've made. And I remember like what life was like at that time when I was creating that. And I think, God, you've managed to create so much beauty out of so much pain. And what a gift that is, not just for you, but for the world. So my goal in the coming months is to start a YouTube channel where I'm actually like teaching people. I've, I've started kind of doing reels and things. Um, but where I just teach very basic things, how to thread a needle and start a project. Um, and I've got, you know, I, I write blogs about different like 
five tips or things you need to know before you start trying embroidery. The the thing that I love is that it's inexpensive. It's lightweight. I did not think of watching YouTube when I started learning how to do this. And I don't know why my neurodivergent brain was just not there. Well, and, you know, I love that you mentioned painting. I think that that is a beautiful representation of perhaps a hand created gift or hand art that's a bit more masculine in nature. Because when we're talking embroidery, when we're talking sewing, that has a very feminine nature. And of course, any guy can get involved in it. But what are some of the more masculine hand created crafts that you can think of for our men here? I'm so glad you brought that up. Did you know that there are websites now where you can take a photograph that you've taken and have it turned into a paint by number? For like $30, they turn your photograph into a mapped out paint by color and they send you all of the colors of the paint and paintbrushes. So you get everything you need. I think that's a really amazing way to make it more personal or you might be more excited about it, especially if you're making it a gift. It doesn't have to be puppies and kittens. So I think that's a really cool thing, paint by number. I think um, now I know this isn't like a manly craft, but I do. One of my best friends, Brad, is a quilter. He's an avid quilter. So like, guys, if if you're like, I want to make my mom a quilt or something, like, don't feel weird because there are male quilters. Well, and you're doing it for your stress reduction purposes, right? And that really is huge in a world that just feels increasingly stressed out and a world that feels increasingly removed from community, as you mentioned, from well-being, from emotional well-being. We have to find ways to cope that go beyond scrolling on social media, that go beyond watching uh, what young people term trash TV, that go beyond you know, emotional eating, that go beyond talking on the phone with your friend, because those things are beautiful but they don't always address the root of the problem. And some of them, like for me, like I have an unhealthy relationship with food and like I am an emotional eater. And for some people you can emotionally eat like every once in a while. And for me, it's like if I, if I'm not careful, I'm emotionally eating every day. Right. So like another really good thing that's like maybe more masculine would be like the polymer clay. Like you don't have to have a potter's wheel and like a studio set up, it doesn't have to be like ghosts. I'm probably aging myself, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be like that. Like you can buy air dry clay or like polymer clay that you bake in an oven or like there's all kinds of adaptive ways to do it. But that's something that, again, doesn't require a lot of equipment. It's fairly inexpensive. You don't even if you don't have the spoons or you don't want to go to the store, you can like Amazon some polymer clay like. Um, I think another good one. So my my partner, Jeff, actually used a paint by number to help cope when he got sober from alcohol. So that's another thing. He's been sober now for 13 months, but like in the early months of his sobriety, his body was very tired. He was, you know, he ran out of energy really quickly. And and obviously, like the world was a lot. And I know there are kids in school that are like struggling with things like, am I drinking too much? Or is this social drinking or is this out of control drinking? I mean, from my own experience with my friends in college, uh, unfortunately, alcohol is such a big part of life there, especially like Greek life and stuff. And so it can be difficult. So he 
channeled his like nervous energy of what do I do instead of drinking into doing a paint by number. There are a lot of people who coped with COVID and layoffs by developing um, and practicing polymer clay. There's also, I know it might sound silly, but Lego sets are getting way cooler. Like get in touch with your like inner child. That would be my advice. If you remember something that brought you joy and filled you with joy, like and and like excitement when you were a little kid, reconnect with that. You don't it and you don't have to just do one thing. You know, there's all kinds of like um, I saw an art studio here. I live near Ann Arbor where the University of Michigan is. And um, they have a splatter room. How stress relieving would it be to go to a paint studio where you you get to put on like head to toe covering and you just get to unleash and throw paint everywhere. And then you leave with a painting that you made. Like, like that's that to me is more uh, long term helpful than a smash room or something and it's way less expensive so kelly one last question before we close out here if you could just give someone one piece of advice let's say someone's listened to this episode they're interested in trying they're interested in getting started what is the one piece of advice and the one piece of wisdom you'd want to impart to them buy the right tools for the job and embrace that sometimes you need a specific tool and just like get yourself that tool and have fun. Like, don't take yourself too seriously. Oh my goodness. I love this. Well, Kelly, it has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me here today to really speak about your journey, your experiences, why you believe art is so important. And again, Kelly J. Pintanol has the affordable art revolution. You should definitely go check her out. You should check out her beautiful works. You should get some inspiration. And of course, they can connect with you. If someone is listening and they want to find you, Kelly, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, my website is kellyjmendenhall.com. And my name is just three little words put together in one long name, Mendenhall. Uh, and then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Kelly J. Mendenhall or author Kelly J. Mendenhall. Um, and the Affordable Art Revolution is on Facebook as well. Yes, and definitely go look at her works. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to be here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was really fun. Thank you for joining me on Campus Chronicles. I hope you found our discussion informative, inspiring, entertaining, and fun. We are always working hard to make sure that our episodes are the very best they can be, which means we need your help. If you liked what you heard, Remember to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a review. It helps us to connect with more students who are hungry for success. And remember, the journey never stops. Keep listening, keep learning, keep growing. See you next week for another amazing episode of Campus Chronicles. Campus Chronicles.